Here's Pastor Steve Converse to introduce us to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Well, the Word of God says that we need to trust in Him at all times. We need to pour our hearts out to Him. He's to be our refuge. See, so many times we make worry our refuge. Something happens in our life, and what do we do? We immediately kick in. The worry starts, and, and, and we start worrying about things. And God's saying, hey, don't do that. You don't need to do that. Don't you think I'm in control? Why would you worry if you know I'm in control? Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to our program. Over the course of the next few Sundays, we'll spend some time taking a look at the issue of prayer. You know, there are so many questions that surround prayer, so many ideas and ideals, and at the end of the day, none of them really matter unless we sit down and actually pray. So what does it mean to pray? How are we encouraged to pray and why pray? Those are questions we hope to answer over the course of the next few weeks. Today, if God is sovereign, why pray at all? With the answer now, here's Pastor Steve Converse on this edition of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Let me turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our study through the book of Matthew. And I just want to read verses 5 through 8 for us this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do or the pagans do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need of before you ask Him. When we come to this section of our study through the Gospel of Matthew, as we indicated before, Jesus is basically touching on three things here. Three religious practices in the life of anyone, really, who is is somewhat religious. But here in in mind, He specifically is uh, talking about the religion of the the Jews of the day and how that they think because of their religious exercises that somehow God is going to like them more. He talks about giving in verses 1 through 4 and we talked about that and we should uh, give as unto the Lord not just to be seen by men and he follows that same outline through the whole thing. He gives us a warning and, and so forth. And here we come to prayer and then he closes off the section in verses 16 to 18 with fasting. And so there are basically three religious practices that he's addressing here and it was very common in the day of Christ these three religious practices and so he kind of pulls them out calls them to task on how the religious hypocrites of the day uh, perform these tasks now when it comes to the subject of prayer there's a lot of things that we can't I would say necessarily understand there's a lot of things when it comes to God we don't understand and there's always been and there probably always will be kind of two segments of theology that deal with uh, God. And one says that God is totally sovereign. He's completely in control of everything, which we believe that. And But that extreme view of that sovereignty basically says that God will work according to His perfect will regardless of what we pray about. I mean, even whether we pray or not. So why even pray? 
God's sovereign, who cares? He's got everything planned out. Aren't we just like little robots down here? The other side is the opposite extreme. And it basically says that through our prayers, we can largely determine God's will. That's the other extreme. And when you look at both of those extremes, you say, well, what's the biblical view? See, on one hand, prayer is simply a way of lining up with God's will. We pray and we just pray that God lines us up with his will because we know his will never changes. And on the other hand, the other side says, well, no, we need to pray to God and we need to ask God to do things that he would otherwise otherwise wouldn't do if we didn't ask him. And the Bible basically is very clear on both of those things. The Bible is clear about God's absolute sovereignty. We know that. We see that over and over again, that God is in control of everything, that God has a plan, he has a purpose. But it's also equally kind of boisterous in declaring that within God's sovereign will, he calls upon us as his people to go to him in prayer, to help, to ask for his help and guidance and power and provision and different ways, mercy, forgiveness, all those things. And so on one side, you kind of have a, a view that says that God is in complete control. And if you take that to the extreme, you can end up very quickly with a fatalistic attitude toward life. Why do anything? God's in control. He's going to have his way. Who cares? If I'm praying for a lost family member, why should I even pray? If the Bible says God chose him before the foundation of the world, I can't change that, so why even pray for him? On the other hand, you have the extreme that says, no, we manipulate God. And it boils down to a very man-centered theology. And you have to be careful when you're dealing with certain things that we don't claim to know more than what we do. The Bible provides both sides of that argument in certain cases. But it boils down to God simply commands us to pray and to obey the principles for prayer in his word, which he's given to us. Now, you might say, if God's sovereign, why should we pray? This guy, Stan's Evers, came up with basically five reasons. And I think you have to stop and you have to say, well, what do I mean by God's sovereignty? What does that mean? What does it mean that God is sovereign? Well, basically, a real quick definition is God rules, therefore he knows and he plans everything. He is absolute in authority over everything. That means that he knows what we will pray about before we even pray. (laughs) The Bible says that. He also knows what we need better than, than we know what we need. And so when we pray, he has already planned... (laughs) and get a hold of this, the answer to our prayer, even though it may not be what we want. He knows how our prayer fits into the plan of our life, into the plan of our family's life, into the plan of our church life, even into the plan that he has, his divine plan for the whole world, because he knows everything. So God sees how our life and our prayers fit into the plans into from eternity past all the way into eternity future. Because with God, there is no time. He transcends time. So everything with God is right now. It's happening right now. So the sovereign God knows at a glance all events, past, present, future. He knows everything. I mean, just think about that for a while. That's hard to get a handle on. He rules, and therefore he has chosen the saved, it says. We read that this morning in the psalm. And he planned that Christ should die for them. See, the the plan of the cross wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to put Adam and Eve down there in this perfect garden and see what happens. Oh, no, they messed up. What would you eat the fruit for? Now i got to, oh, let's see, what do I do? Jesus, okay, you got to go down there. And No, it, it didn't work that way. God, before in eternity past, had chosen Christ to be the Savior of the world. It's not a, God doesn't react to what we do because he is sovereign. And you might say, well, if God rules and if all the stuff you're saying is true, aren't I a mere puppet on a string in the hand of God? And he just kind of moves me around, makes me do whatever he wants me to do. Sometimes I wish it were that easy. 
<laughs> don't you? It'd be a lot easier if we were God's puppet. We'd never sin because God would never cause us to sin. We'd never do stupid things because God's not a stupid God. I mean, think about it. We'd live a perfect life if God were our puppet master and we were the puppet. But you know what? That's not how it works. God gives us choices within his will. Um, the Bible teaches that we are responsible for our actions. And so you can see the tension growing as, well, God is sovereign, and yet, yeah, we make choices. How do you put these two together? I don't think you can. That's what makes God God and us man. Um, because the Bible does clearly teach that we're responsible for our actions. And in First Peter, he says, be holy for I am holy. That's a command. So there must be a choice whether or not we want to be holy or not. Once we become a Christian, we don't, he doesn't just automatically, we just, our behavior doesn't become holy every day. I wish to God it would be, but that's not how it works. We're still trapped in this body. We still have the, the voice of sin and the flesh kind of shouting in our ear and the voice of the world all around us. And at times, we choose not to be holy. That's just the honest truth. To know that God rules and is sovereign, I don't know about you, but that brings comfort to my heart. To realize that God isn't up there reacting to what we do down here on earth. That He has, before the foundation of the world, planned things out. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He's a thoughtful God. Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that all things, what? God works together for those who are, uh, love Him and are, have been called according to His purpose. All those things have been worked out by God. It's not just luck. It's not just chance. I mean, you can even say when you have an automobile accident. You know what? In the mind of God, that's not even an accident. He allowed that to happen for whatever reason. And the Bible over and over again teaches God's sovereignty from Ephesians all the way through the New Testament, basically, and even in the Old Testament. So that's God's sovereignty, that he's in control. Well, what is prayer then? What is prayer? It's not easy to define prayer, but in Psalm 62, 8, it says, Trust Him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. You know, when you stop and think about it, that's kind of what prayer is. It's pouring our hearts out to God. Now, to do that, you have to have some kind of confidence that He's going to hear you, right? Have you ever been with somebody in a conversation and they're just not listening to you at all? And you're trying to talk and they're just, just not listening, after a while, what do you do? You just kind of give up. Yesterday, when I was down seeing Jerry, he didn't have his hearing aids in. I mean, I was hoarse by the time I left his, my visit, literally, because he's just almost stone deaf without his hearing aids. And I remember saying certain things to him, and he'd be, well, what's that? And I'd say it again. And like the fifth time, you know, I was like, you know what, Jerry, forget it. You know, it's all right. Because it's like he can't hear. So it was kind of ridiculous for me to keep on shouting and repeating. And, and sometimes that's our view of God. Why don't we pray more? Well, we think that God's too busy or we just think God doesn't want to be bothered or whatever. Well, the Word of God says that we need to trust in Him at all times. We need to pour our hearts out to Him. He's to be our refuge. See, so many times we make worry our refuge. Something happens in our life and what do we do? We immediately kick in. The worry starts and, and, and we start worrying about things. And God's saying, hey, don't do that. You don't need to do that. Don't you think I'm in control? Why would you worry if you know I'm in control? It's, it's so... So important. I mean, think about it. If you were to go and get on an airplane and the pilot came out and said, hey, I just want to let you know, um, I don't even have my license yet. You know, I'm still in school, but they, they, this is part of my training. So, hey, I hope we have a good flight. And uh, this is my first takeoff and landing. And, uh, you know, I've never even drawn, flown a little Cessna, anything, but I'm sure it'll work out. And he goes back in the cockpit and locks the door. I guarantee you that whole flight, you're going to be worrying you're going to be worrying. Why? Because you're looking at this person as somebody who's not qualified to fly this airplane. Most of us, usually. Some people still worry and when they get on planes. That's fine. But most of us realize, hey, you know what? These guys are qualified. 
And we take it on faith that they've gone through the training and they've passed all the tests and they know what they're doing up there behind that door. And see, sometimes we treat God like the unqualified pilot. We think, ah, you know. But he is totally qualified to be our God. He wants us to pour our hearts out to him because he wants to be our refuge. So we come to the question, if God is sovereign, then why should we pray? There's basically here five reasons that this guy gave. He says, first of all, because God commands us to pray. Because he commands us to pray. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. That's what Paul wrote. And that's just a small smidgen of scriptures that say the exact same thing. And so you have to say that if God commands us to pray and we're not praying, what are we doing? We're being disobedient to God. Even though we don't understand how our prayers fulfill God's will, the Bible says it's our duty and it should be our delight to pray. It shouldn't be a drudgery. And yet the prayer meeting in any church is always the least attended meeting. Why is that? could be because of disobedience. We're failing to fulfill God's command. Secondly, because prayer proves that we have a spiritual life. This kind of hits home. See, you have to understand that when somebody says they're religious, okay, they're, they're talking about usually a church they attend. And religious people basically, what they end up doing is they end up saying prayers. That's what I did for 19 years of my life. I said prayers. Our Father, who art in heaven, how be thy name, and kingdom come, and will be done on earth, and give us the day of the day, and give us the trespass, and give us those trespass, and leave us not to a temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Help me, for grace, the Lord is with thee. Bless the Lord, thou. I can go through it just like that. And I used to do it every night before I went to bed. God bless Jimmy and Bobby and Susie and Mary. All the, I have this thing down. It's just a mantra that I repeated every night. Did it religiously because I knew it was the right thing to pray. But you know what? I didn't have a spiritual life. And my prayers were just things that I said. See, Christians know who they're praying to. Christians actually pray. It's a communication. It's not just something you recite. It's kind of like when someone has a newborn baby. What's the first thing generally that little baby does? Cries. If it doesn't cry, there's something wrong. And if it doesn't cry for a certain amount of time, there could be a sign that there's no life there. See, prayer is like that for Christians. It should be. Prayer is a sign of life. It's a sign of spiritual life. You remember when you first became a Christian, you're all excited and your sins were forgiven and you were just out witnessing everything. And you're, you're praying about everything. You were constantly praying because you were excited. You had this new relationship with the God of the universe and you thought, man, this is incredible. You didn't know any doctrine. You didn't even know maybe how to pray or whatever. Maybe you didn't hear about God's sovereignty and human responsibility and all this other stuff that kind of goes in the mix of theology. And yet you prayed. Jesus speaking to his disciples here in Matthew verses 5 to 7, chapter 6, he says, when you pray, notice, he doesn't say if you pray. It's a God-given thing that you're going to pray. The true Christian will pray. Thirdly, not only because God commands us and it proves that we have a spiritual life, but prayer expresses our dependence upon God. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, the Father knows what you need before you even ask. It expresses our dependence upon God. He wants us to talk to him about what we need. Isn't that great? And he doesn't have to go, you know, to the checkbook and say, ah, oh, you know what, sorry, I can't give you that this month. I don't have enough money. <laughs> he owns cattle on a thousand hills. He's, it's incredible. He, he has all the resources that he created at his disposal to meet our needs, if they're within his will. <laughs> but he wants some conversation along the way. It's kind of like the kid who, who kind of, you know, runs up to dad and says, can I have a candy bar? Oh, sure, here. And then they're gone. Or, Dad, can I have allowance? And they're gone. They don't have any relationship outside of what they're getting from their, or their earthly father. That's not a good relationship. God doesn't want that kind of relationship. He wants a relationship where, you know, we kind of come up and spend some time talking to him. And then eventually kind of let him know what our needs are. Wayne Gruden 
who's a theologian, in one of his books, he wrote this, Prayer is not made so that God can find out what we need. I wish most prayer meetings would understand this. Because to be honest, most prayer meetings in churches today are telling God what we need, as if he doesn't already know. God wants us to pray because prayer expresses our trust in God and is a means whereby our trust in Him can increase. In fact, perhaps the primary emphasis of the Bible's teaching on prayer is that we pray with faith, which means we trust or we depend upon God. That's good. He wants us to pray because He commands it. He wants us to pray because it's a sign of our spiritual life. And it also expresses our dependence upon God. Fourthly, God wants us to pray because it fulfills some of His plans through our prayers. I thought you said God is sovereign. I did. (laughs) God in His sovereignty has chosen to say, you know what? I'm going to have this plan fulfilled, but I'm not going to have it fulfilled except through the means of prayer. See, God has decreed, A.W. Pink said this, certain events that will come to pass. But He has also decreed that these events shall come to pass through the means he has appointed for their accomplishment. Here then is the design of prayer. Not that God's will may be altered, but that it may be accomplished in his own good time and way. See, you have to understand, when we're talking about God's will, there's, there's many facets to God's will. There's God's decreed will, which will never change. doesn't matter what you pray. And you might kind of say there's God's desired will or intended will which maybe could change. Within his sovereignty, it could change. The idea that someone would be in heaven who doesn't trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's something that's been decreed by God. You will not go to heaven unless you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. That's in stone. You can pray all day long for someone, and you could pray the prayer, you know, God, just accept them even though they don't know your son, and and I still want them in heaven. You could pray that till you're blue in the face. God will not answer that prayer. He will not change his decreed will concerning certain things. But we find a troubling thing in Exodus chapter 32, where because of the the golden calf and everything, basically God got ticked off with the people, and he says, I'm going to destroy the Israelites. And what happens? That was his intended will. He said, I'm going to destroy you. And what happened? Moses stepped up to the plate and he pled with God to spare his chosen people. And it says in verse 9, Then the Lord relented and he did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Did God change his mind? I don't think so. God can't change his mind. To change his mind, there would have to be something wrong with his mind. (laughs) And God's mind's infinite. But somehow, in God's sovereignty, he allowed the pleading of Moses to change his intended will, which was to destroy them. And he ended up sparing them. See, if you don't believe that God moves through prayer, then why would we pray at all? It would seem kind of a weird thing for God to tell us, okay, I got everything worked out, but you're going to go down there and just, because I command it, pray. That would be kind of a dry prayer life. But God sometimes can and is moved by our prayers, not to change his mind, but to ultimately carry out and fulfill his will. Fifthly, when we pray, our wills are brought into harmony with God's. See, this is true too. Uh, Mark 14, 36, our Savior prayed, not what I will, but what? But what you will. He prayed that same prayer. He said, hey, I don't want to go to this cross. I'm going to do it out of love, but if there's another way. But you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my flesh. It's not about me suffering and understanding all this is going to take place. I'm willing to go ahead and do that. It's about what you want, Father. If you want me to do this, this is what I'm going to do. He was always willing to do what God wanted him to do. So prayer does not change the sovereign, decreed will of God, but it does change and it has the ability to change us so that we're kind of brought alongside of what God desires. Both things are true. If you ask me to after church to explain this, I can't. That's just what Scripture teaches. But here we see in, in verses 2 and 4 of 
Matthew 6 that Jesus kind of exposed their hypocritical giving. Then he moves into the area of prayer, which was another religious practice that they did. And he says, when you pray, don't pray as the hypocrites. Remember, the hypocrite somebody who put a mask on, and he's, he's acting as if he's somebody he's not. He's an actor. Now, the Jews... <laughs> were very faithful at prayer in variety in a variety of different ways in their life. Uh, God spoke directly to Abraham and they felt a responsibility. They were they were to handle the oracles of God. And no other nation on the earth has been favored by God as Israel. They had direct communication with him on occasion. And of all people they ought to understand how to pray. But they didn't. And like every other aspect of the religious life it was corrupted by their teaching and by the rabbinical teaching and their tradition. You might even say that most Jews were even completely confused about how to pray as God wanted them to pray. William Barclay, in one of his commentaries on Matthew, he points out a number of things that crept into the Jewish prayer life that basically drew it away from what God intended it to be. The first thing he said... Basically, prayer became ritualized. It became ritualized. The wording and the forms of prayer were set. The rabbinical teacher said, okay, if you have this problem, then you need to pray this prayer. And rather than just going to God, you would have to get the piece of paper and say, okay, this is the prayer for the, uh, you know, uh, the harvest of the beets, so we need to pray this prayer. Or this is the prayer for, you know, to get a new donkey. We've got to pray this prayer. I mean, that's how it came down. It came down to this ritualized little book that they had, and this is the prayers that they would go through. And a lot of times they would just memorize them. And a lot of times they could be given without even paying attention to what was said. You know, for years in the Catholic Church, I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm ashamed to say this, but... As an altar boy, up to I was 19, and finally when I went to Bible school, I was in an apologetics class, and they were talking about Catholicism, they were talking about some of the prayers they prayed. For the first time in my life, I think I was 21 years of age, I realized that I was praying wrong in the Catholic Church. I was praying, instead of saying, Hail, H-A-I-L, Mary, all these years, I had been praying, Hell, Mary, H-E-L-L. Didn't even think about it. Didn't even register. Why would we say Hell Mary? That doesn't even make any sense. Nope. Just boom. I would just, just learn it. And you know, just by rote. Obviously, I didn't learn it even by reading it because you would know that. You know, somebody teaches it to you and you just phonetically start going through this thing. And I thought, wow, all those years. They would have kicked me right out the front door if they would have known what I was praying. But that's the point. It's just this ritualized thing and it just became kind of like a semi-conscious thing. You just go through these exercises. In, in the Jewish life, they had the same thing. They had the Shema that they say early in the morning and again at night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They turned that into kind of a uh, just a ritualized prayer. And there was various other ones that they would do and there were certain times that they would do it and they were very religious about it. But it was just, you know... And you can even see that over in the Middle East today, you know, certain times of the day. Religions of all kinds just stop and they just start reciting things. Well, the second fault, he said, not only did they become ritualized, but he goes on and he says, the second fault that crept into the Jewish prayer life was the development of prescribed prayers for every object and every occasion. I kind of already touched on that. But they had a prayer for everything. You have been listening to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City. And it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. In fact, we have a special opportunity for you women to join us, and Pastor Steve Converse will be here in just a moment to tell you all about it. 
We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call. You can reach us at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. If you would rather write to us, here's our address, 2225 Euclid, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. Your letters, phone calls, emails, they mean a great deal to us. Even more so, uh, join us for worship. Sunday services, again, are at 10 a.m., and details are on our website at gracefultruth.org. If you're not involved in a fellowship at this time, please consider this our official invitation. And now, with another invitation for a conference coming up in October, our teacher and pastor once again. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 2nd, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author Cynthia Heald for our Fall Women's Conference. Won't you plan on being here Saturday, October 2nd from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. for a wonderful time of fellowship and teaching from Cynthia on becoming a woman of simplicity? All the registration information can be found on our church website at www.gracebibleonline.org. Once again, that's gracebibleonline.org. Or you can simply give us a call here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Once again, the number is 650-366-9923. We hope to see you in October. Thank you, Steve. And again, that phone number is 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you next week at the same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.